Dear Mel Brooks, as you know, you are great. I've enjoyed your work my whole life, but I've never said thank you. Granted, my whole life adds up to less than half of yours, but even half your age is, uh, you know. So, I'm overdue to say to you, thanks, Mel, for a lifetime of fun. Like every modern American, I have a When I Met Mel Brooks story. Mine begins in 1980-something. It has to do with a certain shop called The Video Peddler and a videotape format called Betamax. You remember beta tapes, but many people do not. Like Laserdiscs and high-definition DVDs, they lost one of our periodic media format wars. Basically, they were smaller, better versions of VHS tapes, but were the sole property of Sony. Since folks other than Sony wanted in on the emerging home video market, the nostalgia industry today cashes in on VHS, and beta is legendary nerd stuff. Sony's loss was my gain, however. In one of my family's many ill-fated technological decisions, we bought a Betamax. We lived in a small farm town in northern Idaho. Wait, you are from New York City, so you probably don't know what small means here. I mean less than 1,000 people, surrounded by wheat fields. Beautiful, but lacking in cinema. So, a highlight of my week at this time were family drives down the road to the less small city where we would visit the video peddler, returning with rented movies for the beta machine and inspiration for my 10-year-old mind. Like my parents, the video peddler had unwisely invested in Betamax. In fact, we may have purchased our player from them for a song after they realized it was time to cut their losses. I met you in their discount bin. It was overflowing with all sorts of films on beta, Many of those movies look great, at least judging by their cover art. My challenge was to find movies that were A, cheap, B, looked good, and C, my parents would let me watch. History of the World Part 1, what a cover! A Roman soldier yelling in the foreground. Some kind of biblical thing going top right. Maybe a guillotine top left, and definitely ladies left and right. It was worth a shot. My parents both said the same thing when I showed them my pick. Oh, Mel Brooks. I gathered that this was someone in the movie. Clearly, they had not seen this film and instead began talking with each other about other movies this guy had been in. I stood with the box in my hands waiting for a verdict. In one of those magical kid moments of disappearing from adult notice, my parents moved on to something else. Maybe what they wanted to watch once us kids were asleep. Or maybe one of my sisters asked them a question. Having kids of my own now, including a 10-year-old, I get it. There's a lot of questions of answer, to answer, a lot of things to say no to. And sometimes you miss something. I can't imagine what, that my parents, had they seen History of the World, would have allowed me to watch it, much less buy it. Whatever happened, I didn't get a yes, I didn't get a no. Instead, I nonchalantly slipped History of the World Part 1 up on the counter when we checked out. And just like that, with practically zero scrutiny, I had my prize. Back home, I waited until I was sure I would not be interrupted. I pulled the power knob on our 19-inch television downstairs. I inserted the black cassette into the player. Mel, listen. Had I been literally, physically teleported into the middle of the Roman Senate in 23 AD, I could not have been more awestruck. I lost awareness of our basement, my own feet, as I beheld the dawn of man. I learned that the world's first artist was Sid Caesar, but his art was defiled. And I mean defiled, Mel. I learned that there were fifteen, fifteen commandments. These things were so hilarious to me that they seemed like they had to be, like all the funniest things, completely true. 
Indeed, through the screen, real truths were being revealed to me in such quick succession that my tiny brain began to fizz and crackle. In Rome, there was Gregory Hines trying to dance his way out of being fed to the lions. There was plumbing being pitched as the newest home improvement. There was Julius Caesar. There was someone attempting to collect unemployment insurance as a stand-up philosopher. What? Stand-up philosopher. I coalesce the vapor of human experience into a viable and logical comprehension. Oh, says one of the golden girls, a bullshit artist. Holy cow. Not only did I not hear that word too much at the time, I never heard it wielded so expertly, snipping away the fog of unreality like yanking off a toga. May I say, sir, that you are the Michelangelo of swearing? Many people. Also, many comedians use a lot of cuss words. Some are quite good, scattering them everywhere like dots in a Jackson Pollock painting. But like Michelangelo chipping away all the marble that is not David, Mel Brooks uses the word bullshit to cut away the pretension, revealing the dirty idea behind the word. A few of your greatest swearing triumphs include the bit in history where you and your pals disguise yourselves as senators by putting on togas and muttering bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. The asshole routine in Spaceballs, the used-to-be-shithouse line in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and, of course, the N-word in Blazing Saddles. They say you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today. They could not. For my part, the way townspeople keep dropping that word so casually really captures the essence of the racism, which is so pervasive they don't even hear it, not even when it's hurting people. Plus, America's first black president, Barack Obama, personally told you that he loved Blazing Saddles. So I think you're going to be on the right side of history, Mr. Brooks. Speaking of history, my point is part one opened a new enlightened era in my life. The Mel Brooks epic. There was a promise of history of the world part two, which would include Jews in space. That hadn't come out yet, but so much more had. As a teenager, I stayed up late regularly, but my longest stretch without sleep was a 72-hour Get Smart marathon on Nick at Night. In college, my pals and I often conversed through favorite movie lines, many of them written by you. I particularly remember Blinken's, You lost your arms in battle, and Little John's, Don't let the name fool you. In real life, I'm very big. Oddly enough, once I was working, the command of Yiddish I acquired through your instruction would occasionally earn me the esteem of co-workers. I even made newspaper editors in Idaho learn how to spell tukas. But once you have kids, or at least once I had kids, it's harder to find time for great film. My Brooks intake slowed. Yet, there I was, watching PBS with my toddlers, today teenagers, and I said, Wait, that sheep is Mel Brooks. You do a funny sheep, man. And now, when son number one is 17 and son number four is five, History of the World Part 2 is coming out. This month. Tonight. Some people say life stinks, but those people don't know Mel Brooks. I'll bet... Sons one through four, plus solo daughter, will come to know Mel. It's important to introduce them, because all through my life, I keep rediscovering the works of Mel Brooks, and it makes me happy. Just last year, I read your autobiography, All About Me. It wasn't until reading that, in 2022, that I realized you backed another film from my youth, Solar Babies. It wasn't that bad, even if it cost you your personal fortune. And to think, throughout your career, you've had a regular lunch meeting with friends like Mario, the Godfather Puzo, and Chunk from Goonies. And you are 96 years old. Amazing! I like to drum, you like to drum, but you talk to Buddy Rich. 
I read about World War II in school, and you disposed of hidden bombs in World War II. I see doctors, and you are an amateur doctor. Kismet. Most of all, though, Mel, I appreciate your class. Being funny and irreverent is not the same as being cruel. A lot of famous people like to stir up a little controversy with their life stories, name names, settle scores. But you wrote your book like an actual doctor, dispensing good advice while doing no harm. You shared your experiences, your friends, your fun, all at your own expense and no one else's. You deserve an award, and you get lots of them. Plus, you met and married the love of your life. You have kids you love, and you've been doing what you love for damn near a century. What I'm saying is, I'm a fan of yours, Mel Brooks. Nine-year-old me was a fan, 21-year-old me was a fan, 45-year-old me is a fan, and if I make it to 96 too, I'll still be a fan of Mel Brooks. If you ever die, I hope I see you in heaven. Your pal, Adam Wilson. Thanks for listening, everybody. I will be back in the future uh, with some interviews here on Adam Wilson Talks to Everyone. I took a turn. I got super obsessed with politics, history, and place. And I started a podcast on the intersection of all three called The Compass of Power. You can listen to it everywhere you listen to this one. In the meantime, though, Hulu is putting out History of the World Part 2. And I encourage everyone to go out there and get more Mel Brooks in their lives. Enjoy.